0: Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. Just some unfinished business from yesterday before we jump into our interesting discussion for today. Uh, we celebrated Earth Day yesterday. And I threw out a question to our listeners uh, What are you doing? What are you reading for Earth Day? And I uh, didn't get this in, apologize for this. Uh, Kathy emailed us and uh, said uh, she's reading Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmer. That was mentioned by others uh, during that hour as well. Uh, so that's a suggestion out there, recommendation from Kathy Brading Sweetgrass, Robin Wall Kimber. Thanks. Welcome to Axis Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Conservationist and historian Betsy Gaines Quammen and journalist David Quammen have been on a virtual book tour conducted from their home in Bozeman. They're joining me uh, from Bozeman for Access Utah today. They're discussing Betsy gaines Quaman's new book, American Zion, Cliven Bundy, God and Public Lands in the West, and David Quamman's book, Spillover, Animal Infections and the Next Pandemic, and how the current social issues intersect with the two books. So we welcome in uh, Betsy gaines Quaman. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: And uh, David Kwaman, thank you.
2: Yes, Tom, it's very good to be with you.
0: Uh, David Quammen, I've talked to you, oh, two or three times on various books. Thank you for right, those interviews, yeah. and thanks for this joint interview. This is very, very interesting. Uh, so you are coming uh, uh, to us from your home in Bozeman?
1: Yep, we're here. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're sheltering in place like so many others.
0: Yeah. Uh, how are things in Bozeman? How, how's the pandemic in Bozeman?
1: Well, um, in the last couple of days, we haven't had uh, very many, I think, maybe – in montana we had a total of two positives yesterday um we were very early on uh, a hotspot, uh, gallatin county because we're a tourist destination so we have a lot of people and we we have a community that's pretty well traveled um so we had a lot of people coming in and out but maybe david you might want yeah,
2: uh, to yeah we're lucky that. compared to a lot of places tom we're you know we can go outside walk the dogs uh lots of social spacing. There's room to get a little bit of sunlight and, and exercise. And, uh, and we've got a nice house to hunker in with our dogs and other animals. And so uh, we're, uh, we're, we're blessed relative to what people are going through in, in a whole lot of places.
0: Mm. Well, um, yeah, I hope it continues. Uh, stay safe there. Um, b- by the way, just on a lighter note, um, in, uh, in some of these uh, t- book tour events, virtual book tour events, um, apparently you've you've had a uh, special guest, Boots the Python.
2: <laughs> yes, we did. Was it just one night, Betsy? Boots the Python lives in a tank in my office. Okay. And uh, occasionally he, he joins us for one of these sessions. We're doing another one tonight with the bookstore in Livingston.
0: Okay, great, yeah. And that, this is a good way. So uh, I guess but visually you can see Boots probably doesn't make a whole lot of sound.
2: Boots is pretty pretty tight lipped
0: yes <laughs> very good um, <laughs> one more little nugget uh betsy uh from your uh biography i noticed you uh worked in a cafe in canab here in utah
1: i did i um i was down there one summer volunteering for best friends animal sanctuary and worked in a cafe in canab and it was it was a great deal of fun i really i love that area and that
0: that place. Yeah, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful area. Well, let's uh, let's jump in. So, Betsy and Squaman, um your book, American Zion, very interesting uh, new book. And uh, your book tour was scheduled, <laughs> and then the pandemic hit. Uh, so, the, the actual tour had to be postponed. Then you hit upon uh, this idea of maybe a, a joint virtual book tour. And it is very interesting the way the two books uh, intersect.
1: Well, it, it, it's funny because I was maybe feeling a little bit sorry for myself. And David said, why don't you go out for a walk with the dogs and get some fresh air? And so I came back and said, isn't it weird that right now uh, two books, David's book Spillover, which came out in um, 2012, and my book that came out last month. Isn't it strange that there's so much intersect right now between uh, the pandemic, which we're all in the middle of? And these sort of these conspiracy notions, this um, this proliferation of anti-science and um, the agitating that's going on, um, and so David, I said, wouldn't it be kind of fun to see if we could do a virtual conversation about the themes in our book? And David said, Yeah, that might be kind of fun. Um, what do you, David? Do you have?
2: Yes, and it's um it's been embraced. We've been very gratified we We do each of these with a particular independent bookstore is sort of the base of it, the host of it. but we, everybody is separated. nobody is you know present in physical space together. and then we do it on what is it Facebook live, betsy?
1: We've been doing it on Facebook live, and it was our way too, and as david said we we know that people are struggling right now, and we love independent bookstores, and we talked to Tory House Press who uh, they're the ones who published my book, uh, American Zion, and um, we said, what if we did this in conjunction with independent bookstores throughout the West? And there has been some real interest, and I think we're doing our sixth one tonight for um, Elk River Books, which is in Livingston, Montana. Mm-hmm. But we also did it it's with Yeller really... Book Works um, in Salt Lake City.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And it's very gratifying because we've, we've been getting participation uh, in greater numbers than you could then you could get into a physically into the, the space of an independent bookstore. Yeah. Uh, so people are hungry, people are hungry for some kind of um intellectual connectivity uh in the midst of the social distancing and, and uh, um we've been very happy to um be one of the places where they can connect with one another as well as with the two of us.
0: Yeah, we're grateful for the technology that allows that, right? Uh, yeah. uh, so, yeah. so let me jump in, Betsy Gaines Quaman, with, uh, with your book. Um, so American Zion looks at the religious roots of Clavin Bundy's uh, and Ammon Bundy's, I guess, standoff with government. Um, how did you come to be interested in this intersection of uh, religion, government, conservation, uh, culture?
1: Well, I had been working um, with an organization called the Tributary Fund, and I was looking at um, religions around the world and how they interpret landscape, conservation, um, wildlife issues, and I became very interested in how you look at religions and sacred texts and how you can see messages within those that... that. Um, are supportive of conservation ethics, and um, when I started working on my PhD, I realized I hadn't spent, I didn't, I didn't know um, Mormonism very well, and I thought it might be an opportunity for me to understand how um, a, a, an American religion looks at landscape and and some of these issues, and uh, I, I, it was a, a bit of a departure because I'd been looking at how. Religion supported conservation issues. And when I began to look at the land use wars in the West, um, in, in particular, how um, Mormon culture looked at landscape, uh, I saw that there was a different ethic. Now, that said, the Mormon Church has been, or the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, have um, issued an environmental statement uh, supporting conservation work. But I found a subculture. Uh, within the south, south um, southern Utah and southern Nevada, that did not support conservation um, and used some of these early church beliefs to to um, validate their agitating over public lands and regulation.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to say that uh, there's differentiation between the church uh, and a broad spectrum of views within, you know, among members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but. Um, importantly, uh, you know, beliefs, uh, whether they be religious beliefs, inform uh, our views of land, right? Uh, so you talked to the you've talked to the Bundys, right? and and talk to them I, about how their faith or how they see their faith informs their views about land.
1: Absolutely. yeah, I, I've had um, I've had great, you know long conversations. Uh, I, I was able to visit um, the the Bundy ranch. Um, the year after the standoff in Nevada, and they were very welcoming. Talked to me about um, the, this idea that when the Mormon people settled the, the land, it in essence became the, their landscape. But it, it it no longer was Southern Paiute um, in the area where uh, where Clive and, and um, Carol live and, and graze their cattle. It it, became, it it transitioned with Mormon settlement, This, according to them. And, uh, and they also talked a great deal about the importance of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. I got the sense that they felt that the Constitution was actually another sacred Mormon text um, in, in some capacity. And, uh, and it was um, very interesting to hear about, they, they talked about uh, a relative who had been a spiritual great grandfather to Clive and Bundy, Nephi Johnson. And um, so my book talks about Nephi Johnson as well.
0: Mm. Um, and of course, you'd, you would get into talk, I imagine you'd get to talk about the militia movement, right? Uh, the Bundys are involved and, and connected uh, as. I don't know if you talk to, you know, others uh, besides the Bundys uh, and uh, those in the militia movement and how their beliefs, including religious beliefs, um, impact uh, their actions.
1: Yeah, the militia movement is, is interesting because I think there are those in the militia that are motivated religiously, but there are also a number of other reasons. I, I, you know, the militia is a loose network of individuals who... Are focused on um, the Second Amendment. They're focused on the Constitution. Some are religiously motivated. Um, Some are uh, devout Mormons. Um, Some are white supremacists. (laughs) Some are uh, evangelicals. So it's it's really a mixed bag. Um, But uh, but particularly when the Bundys ask the Mormon, excuse me, ask the militia to come and join them in Nevada they had a very broad network of of um, different uh, militia members come and join them and that was the standoff over the confiscation confiscation order to round up uh, Clive and Bundy's cattle and that was in 2014. Mhm.
0: Um, that was you know a real real milestone uh, this you know th- this this stark confrontation right between these mm these ranchers and uh, and the government.
1: Absolutely. That that was really when Clive, although um, Clive had been, been, had been agitating for years. He hadn't paid grazing fees, I think, since 1993. And he was um, emerging as a figure in these um, land right wars. Uh, but uh, but in 2014, that really established his power in his face. Uh, they stood off against... Um, the the Las Vegas Police Department and um, and other law enforcement and it was you know rifle to rifle very tense not a shot was actually fired but it became this movement or it, it, it sort of and I, I, as I said established his power because the the BLM uh, turned around uh, they essentially won that they won the standoff and he continues to graze his cattle in Nevada on the public land mean, today. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, David, you want to say something?
2: Oh, I was just saying they won it. You're saying bets that the Bundys essentially won that standoff, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, oh yeah, the Bundys won that. Standoff.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you fast forward to the the Malheur um, uh, standoff. Uh, there's, you know, there there's connections, at least in in attitude and I guess beliefs and and um, desired outcomes, at least on the Bundy side, right?
1: Yeah, I, well, it, that was a little more complicated. They didn't have the support that they had seen in, in the Battle of Bunkerville. Uh, they, they didn't um, – th- there were militia members who did not agree with what they were doing. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, the, the, the standoff lasted 41 days. Um, uh, LaVoy Finnecombe was killed when they had a roadblock. Um, and arrested um, Ryan Bundy and Ammon and, and, and Shauna Cox and some others. Um, it 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 was not the sort of victory, quote unquote, that uh, that um, Bundy or Bunkerville had been. Um, and it's interesting to look at some of the agitation that's going on right now with, with Ammon, um, and he's fighting against these these um, stay in place. Uh, shelter in place orders in, in Idaho. And, um, and he's had the, the head of the, um, three percenters, which is a militia group, um, that has a chapter in Idaho, who's come out and said, I disagree with the agitation that, that Ann Bundy is doing right now. Um, because this particular individual lives in Haley, Idaho, and, um, and Blaine County has seen a really big outbreak of COVID-19. And um, and so you see militia not supporting the actions that Ammon is taking right now. So um, it's it, you know again in in Bunkerville and he had broad support, and it's it, it, with with um, here and and with this current campaign he's not getting the support. Although that's sort of shifting, we're seeing this this agitation happening right now over COVID 19 gaining broader and broader support among militia as well
0: among militia yeah that's interesting um, and we're seeing this in several states um, you know the these protests um, yeah where do you think this is coming from it, it either Betsy or David
1: I, I'll just I'll turn it over to, to David I, I I think it's coming from a number of places it's coming from from uh, people like is it Eric moose Mous- uh, Moutos- uh, who is um, a former police officer in Salt Lake City who was working with the Sutherland Institute, and he and Ammon have been agitating um, in Utah, and, uh, and they were um, involved in the protest last weekend at, in Salt Lake City to get people, I think it's the Business Revival um, organization that, uh, that, that's kind of been hastily put together um, to to push these protests, but um, but there are also things happening in Michigan, in Maryland, in, in Indiana, um, and again the Proud Boys in Michigan are a uh, militia group, but there there are some big funders behind some of these movements. Um, we're seeing yeah. some of these these um, protests. Um, the, the people who are protesting actually have. Uh, financial backing from Robert Mercer, from um, the Koch brothers. Um, so it's, it's a strange um, reaction to the, this, this economic um, hardship that everybody's going through. And, um, and, uh, and it is coming genuinely from people being frustrated and scared, but there are larger, more organized forces behind it. Mm-hmm. Ammon is among one of the figures who is pushing this broader um, sort of campaign of protest.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, David Coleman, your your views on this.
1: Uh, well, yes, as Betsy said,
2: uh, one of the interesting things about this is that it comes very genuinely from the frustration of people who can't go to work, people who can't earn a living, people who feel that their, their rights have been constrained by these closure orders. But uh, there, was a, there was a piece in the New York Times just yesterday tracking uh, the dark money, uh, the big dark money, behind uh, these protests and supporting some of these protests from, as Betsy said, from the Robert Mercer Foundation, among others. Uh, and it's very difficult to see where this is going to go. I mean I have a great concern great sympathy for those people who want to be able to go back to work earn a living It's very difficult we understand that um, At the same time I'm really concerned about what the second wave is going to look like uh, when we eliminate or if we do eliminate social distancing in some of these states um, there're going to be flare-ups there's you know, there's a continuing flare-up in, in the area of Albany, Georgia, horrible flare-ups. Other other places, such as Detroit, some places are starting to get the, um, the outbreak under control, and their numbers are going down. Meanwhile, other places' numbers are going up, not just in the U.S., but around the world. I was hearing this morning that Germany has been very um, successful in controlling this, especially relative to... Um, Italy, Spain, and France, uh, but now the numbers in Germany are starting to go up as they talk about releasing uh, social distancing, and, and Angela Merkel was was expressing concern about that just today.
0: So uh, there, you're saying there will be inevitable, will be a second wave?
2: Well, I, there's so many unpredictable factors about this, I don't think we can say almost anything is inevitable, but yeah, I think it's very, very probable that there will be a second wave. Um, as we uh, release these constraints, I think the numbers are likely to go up, at least in some places, and there will be, um, you know, many, many cases and a lot of deaths again, and then and then maybe we'll go into a cycle where, uh, you know, people have talked about, you know, Hitting, pumping the brakes. Uh, maybe what we have to expect is that we'll go through cycles where we have uh, social distancing and. Uh uh, lockdowns of businesses and, and uh, um, schools and things like that for a period of time, and then there's a release of those, and then cases go up again, um, and then we have to go back into the constraints again. Um, in the meantime, doing that might accomplish what people have been talking about, which is flatten the curve so that at the end we may not have had any fewer cases um, than we would have otherwise, but we might have many fewer deaths because, our health care systems, our hospitals, our intensive care units, our ventilators won't be um, overtaxed, won't be um, in too short a supply. So that uh, the people who do um, experience cases of this will be able to be taken care of by our, our terrific, heroic health care workers.
0: We're talking, if you just joined us, we're talking with uh, David Quammen and Betsy Gaines Quammen. Betsy Gaines Quammen's new book is American Zion, Clavin Bundy, God and Public Lands in the West. David Common's book uh, came out in 2012, Spillover Animal Infections in the Next Pandemic. And uh, they're doing virtual book tour events um, uh, talking about this and how current social issues intersect with both books. We'll take a break and be back after this.
1: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, a nonprofit organization dedicated to protecting Utah's Red Rock Wilderness lands. Details on SUWA and Protecting Wild Utah are at suwa.org.
0: I'm Carl Berger. Sherry and I have pledged $1,000 to UPR this spring to help support the special coverage and great broadcasting that's so important right now. While we can't have a regular pledge drive, it's imperative to support a strong source of information that's reasoned and up-to-date. I'd like to challenge all of you to help by giving now, and we'll match your amount up to our 1000
2: In spite of being homebound, we can all still give. So get online and give at upr.org. Hi,
0: I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time here on Utah Public Radio. I hope you'll join me Sunday evenings for a journey through the world of jazz music, from ragtime to bop, from Havana to Logan, Utah. Tune in for a bit of history, commentary, the occasional interview, and of course, all that jazz. Jazz time, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Axis U Time. Tom Williams. We're pleased to have uh, David Quammen, author of uh, many books, including Spillover: Animal Infections, the Next Pandemic, and Betsy Gaines Quammen, her new book, American Zion: Cliven Bundy, God, in Public Lands in the West. And uh, they are reaching uh, me from, or I've reached them from, their home in Bozeman, Montana. Um. So. Um, Beginning of this segment, I want to start with uh, with you, Betzkeins Quammen. Uh, you understand, have talked to Ammon Bundy quite recently. In fact, I understand. Watching one of your Facebook live events, um, you talked to him mid-March, just on the day or after the earthquake, epicentered in uh, Magna.
1: Yes, I, I talked to him on, on March 18th, which I think was the the day of the big earthquake uh, in Utah, and I had been thinking, you know, um, Ammon, since now here, has been really looking for his next big cause. And with these lockdowns, I thought, you know, this is going to be something that, that is going to not sit well with him. And so I, um, I talked to him, and um, I actually found what he was saying to be uh, sort of, I understood where he was coming from in the sense that he was very concerned with this pandemic, that the government was going to use it um, to consolidate power. And although I think his tactics are, are very dangerous, um, that these calls to to rally and to gather um, in big groups, I mean, that that's a recipe for contagion. I, I was in agreement with him that, um, this this is a time when when we're focused on pandemic for uh, government to consolidate power. My biggest concerns are the deregulation that's going on. Um, the, the EPA um, uh, deregulating uh, they're monitoring. Um, there's, there's been uh, th- this uh, I, I was reading yesterday that, that they're uh, lowering emission standard and they are, looking at deregulating mercury uh, levels um, and that, you know, there are things that that I'm quite concerned about, uh, but I do think lockdown or, or rather shelter in place is important right now. And we're trying to understand how to, um, to, to, best cope with this, this um, pandemic. Uh, but, but Ammon at that point had said that he was um, sheltering in place, that he was spending time with his family and then, within a week, he was starting to gather uh, and and have meetings for for what they were going to do in protest of these, of, of in this case, Governor Little, uh, of Idaho's stay-at-home orders.
0: So this comes from, uh, I'm assuming, comes from deep skepticism, mistrust of government, on the part of Alan uh, Bunning, yeah, those who were with him.
1: Yes, it, but but even more than that, um, and and again, I. I We have seen this pandemic um, come into our country and we've gotten so much misinformation, you know, from our from our government. uh, Initially, the Trump administration said, you know, it's just the flu or it's, you know, a hoax or um, nothing to worry about. And so the initial messages that came out um, didn't uh, let Americans really understand how serious this was. And so you do have people reacting to these initial messages. On top of that, there is this real anti-science culture in our country, and people don't trust statistics. So when I spoke to Ammon, he did not believe that the mortality rate was being honestly reported. He just doesn't think it's as dangerous as it is. And, And I think part of that's misinformation. Part of it is a real skepticism over science, and I saw that, and I write about it in American Science, in particular, um, research relating to uh, the impacts of grazing on public lands, the impacts to wildlife, uh, climate change, just the, no um, trust in the science coming out of that, um, and um, and with this pandemic, you know, not only does he not trust the statistics. He's not seeing it in Emmett, Idaho. It, you know, he's not seeing what's happening in, say, New York City. Um, so, I, I think I think all those factors have, have you know played into his his campaign to to um, rally against these rules and regulations to keep people safe.
0: David Coleman, I wonder if you talk about that as well. This this strain of anti-science. Um, uh also, you know, uh, misinformation, um, yes. and, and combined with the fact that in, you know, in some areas, if, if you're in an area, say in the rural West and it, the pandemic hasn't really hit your County much at all, you know, uh, I guess there's a spectrum, you know, you'd, you'd maybe be a little skeptical or maybe be very predisposed to not believe what the scientists are saying.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Hi, Tom. Um, and there have been places, you, you know, well that, uh, We have places out here in the West, certainly big areas of Montana, big areas of Utah, big areas of Wyoming, where um, social distancing is pretty much business as usual. And those places have been um, relatively um, lightly hit so far, and that's great. That's fortunate. Um, Will they eventually be hit um, more heavily? Well, maybe. I'm certainly concerned about that, and I think they should be too. When we talk about this, uh, this wariness of of government, further government irrigation of powers. Uh, we want, want to specify that what we're really talking about is concern about the federal government. I think that's what Ammon and the Bundys are concerned about, is the federal government having more power relative to individuals and relative to the states and counties and things like that. Uh, in terms of uh, the federal government uh, messages that have been coming out of Washington uh, on this, I'm going to I'm going be very polite today and, and use the word um con- the words confused and confusing. Uh, there has been great inconsistency. Uh, the president has been in sort of an ongoing argument with the, with the governors over this. Uh, does everybody, and on other points, does everybody have as many tests as they need? Uh, does everybody have as many ventilators as they need? Uh, should there be shutdown? Should there not be shutdowns? Um, it has been inconsistent and confusing, and that has been costly in terms of the American toll. There are other countries in the world, and I've just been writing about this for a magazine piece, other countries such as South Korea, such as Singapore, the city-state of Hong Kong early on, Japan, places that are very close to southern China, central China, Wuhan, uh, that have done much better at controlling this than the U.S. has. Uh, Now Singapore, which was very successful at the beginning, is starting to starting to have a second wave, because they have released some of their um, their um, social constraints. Uh, but other countries, uh, South Korea notably, uh, have done much better than the U.S. has done uh, in controlling this. And uh, it's not for lack of scientific warnings. Again, something that I've written about and I'm writing about again now. The scientific warnings have been there. I wrote about that 10 years ago in Spillover. Scientists were telling me, watch out for a coronavirus coming out of a wild animal such as a bat in a place such as a wet market in China. Ten years ago, we were hearing that, and I was reporting what they were saying. Um, But um, the scientific warnings have not been met with uh, equivalent public health preparedness and certainly government leadership and will to spend the money necessary to have excess capacities in all these public health uh, dimensions, uh, personal protective equipment and ventilators and ICU units and all that, there has not been the, the will among leadership to spend big money on preparedness. And I suppose that's probably because when you spend big money on preparedness, there's a risk that it might not be necessary during your term in office. The next pandemic is going to happen, but it might not, <clears throat> might not happen on your watch. And I think that is what has left us catastrophically unprepared to deal with this.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> human nature, right? Um, but uh, we can have, yeah, have big consequences. Aver- yeah. aversion to risk, you know? yeah.
2: We all have aversion to different kinds of risks. And, um, and national governments tend not to have aversion to the risk of spending a lot of money on weapons systems, great arm- armories of weaponry, hoping that they won't be used, hoping that they won't be necessary. There's less aversion to that kind of risk than to the risk of spending billions of dollars on pandemic preparedness and then not having a pandemic.
0: Mm-hmm. I wonder if you talk David about um, what it would take to uh, be able to open up in in the US um, but you know but but still control the the pandemic and uh, there are some examples of some Asian nations um, but but I wondered especially but culturally. Um, and with the relationship with the right. government, uh, some of these nations are, you know, very much more centrally um, organized, right? And, and can enforce some measures that I don't know whether in America will accept some of these.
2: Absolutely right, Tom. And again, that's something that I've been, been writing about. The models of Singapore and South Korea, for instance, are, and not to mention China, a very different, very different situation. Singapore is very small. South Korea is not large. Uh, they have uh, excellent, excellent healthcare systems, and they also have um, strong central governments, and and beyond that, a certain ethos of compliance in the citizenry. And uh, out here in the West of the U.S., we have anything but an ethos of compliance. Uh, we have the rugged individual ethos, and those are two very different kinds of social attitudes, kinds of. Um, um, uh, uh, well, um, you know, emotional and uh, philosophical predispositions of the populace, whether they're willing to uh, have quarantine, have self-quarantine for 14 days enforced by having a camera in their house and a phone so that public health officials call them randomly three times a day and they have to answer on their phone and then be present in front of their camera. This is the kind of thing that was done in Singapore during the SARS uh, outbreak in 2003 and has been done again. That's not likely to fly in the western United States, as you know, um, as well as we do. Um, so there are differences. It is, it is hard to adjudicate the, the issues that we now are going to be facing, are facing already and are going to be facing more, between public health and, uh, and individual liberty. Hmm. uh going to be some tricky conversations that we have to have in the public space about that.
0: You just joined us. We're talking with uh, David Quammen. Uh, he's talking about his uh, book from 2012, Spillover, Animal Infections in the Next Pandemic. And Betsy Gaines Quammen, her new book, American Zion, Clive and Bundy, God in Public Lands in the West, is out and available. Um, and by the way, uh, the, the two books can be uh, purchased at uh, any independent bookstore, right? And these, these bookstores have... Uh, you know, set up uh, measures. You can, you know, curbside service in many cases, and uh, you can order order online from these bookstores. So, support your local bookstore. Yep.
2: Um, uh, right. it's yes. a It's time for reading. It's it's, um, it's a it's a great time for connecting by way of Skype or uh, Facebook Live with your your friends and neighbors on a on a book event of the sort that we're doing. But it's also uh, a great time to be sitting home with a book on your lap and reading.
0: Yeah. Uh, So I want to uh, follow up with Betsy Ginsquam and uh, your conversations with the Bundys and others um, and this idea of uh, anti-science was a strong strain of this in in America um, and in the West as well. Um, And so that's led to, you know, anti-vaxxer movement, for example, climate change denial. And it just seems that this is one more pressure point in, in this extreme polarization that that we're experiencing, you know, the, those on the pro-science side, which is the, the, the majority, uh, I think, like think they scratch their heads. Why, why will you not accept science? It's it's science, right? Uh, so, called, we'll to start with you. What 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 takes in the mindset of of uh, someone who just is skeptical of this?
1: Well, it's 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 so strange right now, in the sense that. We live in a country and a world where we can get separate ideas of – sort of separate spheres of, of information. Um, there, are, there are so many places uh, that proliferate these anti-science notions that look like they're, they're showing you real studies that are um, interviewing doctors. Uh, there's a doctor right now in the Flathead area of, of Montana. She's in Kalispell and she is a woman who got up on a YouTube video, and she has a pink stethoscope around her neck, and she's telling people that the um, COVID nineteen is um, absolutely not dangerous, that they don't have to worry about it, that there's so much mis- misinformation out there, um, and you know this is a, a a woman that everybody in in this well not everybody but many 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 people in this movement to flout the rules over. COVID-19, have grabbed onto this YouTube video because she's a real doctor. And I read this morning that, you know, there are foreign influences now, Russia and China, who are trying to promote this anti-science in these circles, um, you know, social media, so that they cause further confusion. And this is, it's a weird time, and people who want to believe certain things can go and find information that substantiates their their beliefs. Um, and so, you know, they, they would probably say, well, we're not anti-science because we watched this YouTube um, with a doctor with a pink stethoscope, and she's telling us we're right. Um, David, do you have... I, I'm, I'm sure you have stuff to say about this, too.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think the general trend is, uh, in America, but particularly here in the West, uh, yeah, it's a tendency of rejection of authority. Don't let the, the big shot expert tell us what to do. And uh, being anti-science is just is just one flavor of that kind of um, resentment against authority and 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 resistance to the to the federal government and, and federal bureaucrats, agency people is is another form of that. I think those have sort of the same um, emotional roots. Um, and with science, it is it is very peculiar, Tom. When you think about the people who are, who are anti-vaccine, um, they're concerned because they've seen some uh, pseudo-scientific study uh, suggesting some kind of a danger, um, and so they don't want their kids vaccinated. But um, do, what about when your kid has an ear infection caused by a bacteria, a streptococcus or something like that? Are you going to... Are you going to want antibiotics for your kid? Well, maybe not that either. That's science. What about when you have cancer? Are you going to want to be treated with with chemo or anything, have any sort of treatment for cancer? Well, that's science. So it's it's puzzlingly inconsistent, but humanity is puzzlingly inconsistent. And uh, so I I suppose we shouldn't be surprised at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of us are inconsistent in some way or another, but... Being unwilling to think critically about what is actual uh, scientific evidence is really um, a costly form of inconsistency in, uh, in our society. Mm.
1: There, there was a, a woman um, two days ago who, she's a, a notorious anti-vaxxer, very connected to right-wing um, uh, protest in Idaho. Her name is Sarah Bradley, and uh, she went to a playground in Meridian, Idaho, with her kids, and a police officer came up and said, "You can't play here." And she pushed against him, and pushed against him, and pushed against him. Um, uh, you know, talking about her rights, talking about the fact that she pays taxes, um, and she was arrested. And again, this is somebody who who's well known because she's so anti-vaccine, um, and uh, and Ammon got involved in this, and there's been protests in Meridian. People have been marching in front of um, this police officer's home. And so you are seeing the anti-vaxxers getting involved in this. And, David, I I was thinking, you know, what's going to happen when there's a vaccine for COVID-19 and and what's going to be the backlash there?
2: Holy cow, yes, that's a good point. I mean, we're hoping for there to be a vaccine maybe a year from now Uh, The only thing that is really going to help us get on top of this virus is a vaccine. But when we have the vaccine, then there will be some tricky questions. There will be questions about who wants the vaccine but can't get it because they're not high enough in the pecking order or they don't have enough money. And on the other hand, who should get the vaccine? uh, And uh, and they're resistant to it because it's a vaccine. Um, You're you're right, Betsy, that there's going to be some really interesting um, and uh, important cross-cutting currents when uh, when we reach that point.
0: just want to uh, conclude this segment, then we'll take a break and uh, come back for a final segment with uh, David Kwaman and Betsy Gaines Um I don't know if this is so much as a question, as a <laughs> musings, and uh, if you have comments on this. Um, you know, going into this, uh, we might have expected, or hoped, hoped is the better word, that with a, a big event that we're all going through, or that most of you know the the, the collectively societies we're going through, this this would draw us together. Um, yeah, right. But but instead, it seems the forces uh, of division are 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 stronger, and and uh, people are falling along those fault lines, and including reaction to the pandemic.
2: Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I've just been thinking the same thing that it's, it feels tragic that this sort of a um, an ordeal that we are going through in this country and that the world is going through, well, it, it, let's just talk about this country, that that this ordeal we're going through um, uh, bodes to turn into just another wedge issue, uh, exacerbating our uh, polarized uh, uh, politics, and rather than being something that's a, a tragedy that, that unites us the way World War II did, for instance. Uh, I hope that's not the case, but I agree with you that there's a danger of that. I-
1: and I would also say that you know the leadership has used this to to divide. I I, I think that we could have seen leadership be much more uniting, um, but instead, it, you know, it, this issue has become um, politicized, um, and it's also become a a sort of. I mean, I I mean we were getting misinformation from the very top um, of you know the federal government and. And it could have been handled in a way that really pulled us together, and it just has not.
0: Well, let's take a break. We're talking with uh, Betsy gaines Quaman, her new book is American Zion, Cliven Bundy, God and Public Lands in the West. And uh, David Quaman's book from 2012, Spillover, Animal Infections and in the Next Pandemic, talking about how current social issues intersect with those two books. We'll have more following this break.
1: UPR programming is supported in part by our members and CAPSA, the Rape Crisis Center for Cash and Rich Counties. Providing confidential rape and sexual abuse recovery and support services, including support phone line, rape exam advocacy, legal reporting, and clinical therapy. Details at capsa.org. Hi, I'm Tim Light, host of The Debunked Podcast. Join us for Episode 4, where we debunk the myth that only elderly and immunocompromised individuals are at risk of adverse health outcomes from COVID-19. On this episode, we wanted to hear the perspective of frontline workers. So joining me on this episode, emergency room physician, Dr. Nathan Allen, substance use disorder counselor, Michelle Chapoos, harm reduction specialist, Paul Harkin, holistic health liaison, Susie Baker, and a brave anonymous grocery store worker. You can find the show on the podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, UPR.org, and wherever you get your podcast. For more information on COVID-19, check out our social media at DebunkPod and
2: CDC.gov.
0: We're all feeling a little bit more disconnected from each other as social distancing efforts continue to help mitigate the spread of the coronavirus. But at Utah Public Radio, we're always your community connection. Please support us and donate to upr.org. You're listening to Access Utah. We reached our last segment with David Quammen. We're talking about his book from 2012, Spillover, Animal Infections and the Next Pandemic. And we're talking with Betsy Gaines Quammen. Uh, Her new book is called American Zion, Cliven Bundy, God and Public Lands in the West. And uh, these uh, two books uh, do have a lot of intersection. Uh, That's why uh, they're on a virtual book tour from their home in Bozeman, Montana. Um, And so an event tonight, you're saying?
1: Yes, we are going to be doing an event tonight, um, uh, 7 o'clock um, um, Mountain Daylight Time, and um, and we're going to be talking about these, these strange threads that go back and forth between David's book on pandemic and my book on um, the Bundy family uh, public lands and the West and some of these cultural uh, understandings of science, conspiracy, anti-government, um, um, uh, you know, sort of leanings and um, and how that that culture is um, looking at pandemic and and how they're reacting to it right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Where do people find this? Uh, on, yeah, go ahead, David.
2: Oh, I was just going to say this particular event um, it's on Facebook Live, right, Betsy? It's hosted by Elk River Books of Livingston. How do you get to Facebook uh, Elk Live? Elk River, River Books of Livingston and
1: Tory House Press, and it's on Facebook Live on the David Kwamen and Betsy Gaines Quammen event page. You just go to Facebook and type in our names and you'll get right to the page and it should be live streaming by 7.
0: Okay, great. Uh, an opportunity to uh, to see the the Quamans there. Uh, and uh, Boots the
2: Python? Will he be in, in evidence <laughs> there? <laughs> is, is, is Boots the Python coming tonight, Betsy? Should we bring him? Uh, uh, Boots uh, maybe, might be, be coming. We
1: have a, a menagerie of animals in our house that yeah. often poke their heads um onto the camera and uh yeah it's it's definitely a family affair
2: yeah
0: very good yeah. uh we just have about <laughs> so, five or six minutes left in the conversation here uh david i want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, and again i was viewing this other uh, facebook live event uh, several of these you can find on your on your facebook site uh um you're talking about um sars of course sars is a coronavirus, right? Uh, and, right, and right. a big outbreak hit hit Asia hard, didn't hit the West, at least the U.S. is, is hard. Um, but one of, the things you, you're, one of the things I've heard, at least, and, and you're debunking this, is that uh, SARS just died out.
2: Oh, yes, you do hear that. You hear that. SARS died out. It came out of southern China. It got to Hong Kong. And from the Hong Kong airport, it went to Singapore and uh, Beijing and... Uh, Bangkok and also Toronto. And it did hit Toronto hard. There were a number of uh, hundreds of cases and uh, quite a number of deaths in Toronto. And then after about 8,000 cases and about four months, as I recall, uh, it was stopped. It did not burn out. It was ended because of really good early scientific detection and understanding of what it was. And then very strict and effective public health measures in those places, Singapore, Hong Kong, Beijing, uh, Toronto. Uh, and uh, and that meant uh, uh, identification of cases very quickly, good testing, contact tracing, um, enforced quarantine of contacts, secondary contacts of cases. Uh, and uh, and it killed a lot of people because it spread very quickly um, rapidly in healthcare situations. There were a number of, uh, of what are called super spreaders. One patient who went through a respiratory crisis, and this was before people really, healthcare workers knew what they were dealing with, and so there would be nurses and doctors gathered around a, a patient having a respiratory crisis, trying to get a tube down his thro- throat, a, you know, a ventilator tube, and uh, he was spewing out all this virus, and they would get sick, and quite a number of healthcare workers died. But it did not burn out naturally. It was stopped by these measures, these control measures. Uh, and, uh, and by the good fortune that uh, it went to cities that had good health care systems and uh, had strong governments and had people willing to cooperate. Uh, mm. It didn't go to any um, chaotic places and uh, get out of control in a big population, mm. as it might have.
0: We just have about three or four minutes left. I just want to end with uh, asking each of you, you know, what what you'll especially be looking for, uh, interested in, or worried about as uh, as we go forward with this. Uh, so, starting with Betsy Kingsquamen.
1: Well, I I am very very worried about people being misinformed and um, and saying it, it, that that this is not something to be concerned about, and I I see it over and over again. This this real aversion to Um, to believing that, that so many people are dying, um, from COVID, that they, they, there are a number of people right now protesting, um, the stay at home orders who just simply don't believe the mortality rates and they're not seeing it in their communities. And they're asking, you know, does anybody even know if, of a person who's sick? Um, and again, this is social media. So there's, it's just a big echo chamber of people saying, it's not real, it's not dangerous, it's the flu, um, and, and I, I, I'm so concerned about that because I hope that the message is not going to be made clear because outbreak comes to these communities and, and these rural places that the only way that the message becomes real is when people get sick, and I, I, I'm very, very concerned about that.
0: Mm. David Quammen, we'll give you give the last word. We've got about a, a minute or so left in the conversation.
1: Yeah, well, I am, I am very
2: concerned to understand why this uh, disease has been killing so many people in Italy, uh, France, Europe generally, where the case fatality rate is catastrophically high, thirteen percent or so. And I'm also very concerned about what's going to happen when this thing really bursts out in the uh, the robust. Uh, but under-resourced countries of Central and Southern Africa, I keep wondering what's going to happen when it hits Kinshasa, hard, capital of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. We haven't seen much yet, but it could be really bad uh, in in
0: Africa. Yeah, that's uh, definitely definitely worries. Um, well, would obviously keep an eye on this, and uh, and hope that everybody uh, can can stay stay uh, stay safe. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Betsy Gaines Quammen. Her new book is out and available. American Zion, Cliven Bundy, God, and Public Lands in the West. Uh, Betsy Gaines Quammen, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate you having us today.
0: And uh, David Quammen, uh, many books out, but uh, the book we've been talking about uh, is Spillover: Animal Infections and the Next Pandemic. Thank you, David Quammen.
2: Thank you, Tom. It's always it's always a pleasure to talk with you. I'm 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 glad to have the chance again, and we really appreciate your uh, your interest in both books.
0: Thank you, thank you so much to both of you. And and to mention that uh, the event tonight, uh, you can check out the Commons on Facebook. That Facebook live event will be happening. Uh, And uh, thanks to everyone for listening to Access Utah.
1: In unprecedented times, Utah Public Radio and NPR's commitment to you is unchanged. We're reporting the news and keeping you connected to your community and the world. Your donations keep us going. Commit to trustworthy news by making a donation. Visit upr.org.
0: Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan. Also heard at
1: upr.org.